Well, let's dive into this. We're talking about relationships. This is going to be the last in a little mini-series on relationships. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. Starting next Sunday, holiday or not, starting next Sunday, we're going to start a new series. And uh, I'm going to beckon you, encourage you. I'm going to hopefully fire you up with some excitement um, because I'm going to be starting a new series. And I know this series is built around my own journey in my life, and I know it will help you as well because I'm excited about this in my own Christian experience. I'm going to be teaching a new series, and I want to look at the subject starting next week of experiencing God. How many of you guys are looking to experience more of God? I mean, that's what this is all about. I want to go deeper with God. I want to know God more. I want to experience more awe. I want to experience more of Him. But here's, here's the kicker of this whole thing. And maybe you have a bad experience with church. I'm going to call this series Experiencing God Through the Church. And I'm going to show us, almost lost it, how God wants to bless us and God wants to reveal himself and God wants to mightily and powerfully work through the church to transform your life and give us a deeper worship. I want to take Bethel Christian Church to the next level and we're going to start next Sunday. I don't know where this series will go. Uh, it'll be a long series, and I'm going to bear through 1 Corinthians. And so if you would do me this favor, if you would get a vision with me of building this church into a new season, reaching that city, experiencing God, making the stories real about experiencing revival in our church, then I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 6, and then I want you to go on this journey with me on Sunday mornings. How many of you guys are down with that? Uh, I, uh, give me something right there. Give me an amen. All right, there we go. Yeah, see, what you, I saw some of you at the concert, and you're all fired up. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. Let's carry it right in here and get really excited about what God wants to do. And it's going to take maybe a shaking, an awakening to say, I need more of God. I, I want more of God. And so I'm going to have to shake the dust off here. And I'm going to have to awake myself out of a, a little slumber and get real about this thing and see something powerful happen in my life. I bet we can all do that together. But we're going to close up the series, the mini-series on relationships. And the next week, we're just going to dive in and be praying for God's power on this place and bring a friend's and talk about rebuilding Bethel. So relationships is where we're at for the remainder of our morning. Becca, keep an eye on me. I'm going to try to use this clicker and do my best. Why a, relationship, a series on relationships? Well, I've been asking that question last week as well. Um, and what I worked out last week, and you can uh, get that sermon online um, and listen to it, especially if you're struggling with someone in a relationship. Why a series on relationships? Well, here's, here's the reason. We all need relationships, don't we? And if you notice, life is designed around relationships. From cradle to the grave, you are woven into other human life. From the very outcry of a baby, a child is directly connected to another human life. And when you lie in a bed somewhere taking your last breath, you will be woven in the lives of other people as well. This whole journey of ours is designed to be done through community. We saw in Ecclesiastes, there is a danger in trying to live your life, whatever age you are, in a soloist mentality, and walking through the dangers and the complications and even the joys of life without being with someone and in community. It's a powerful thing to have relationships. 
They're the things that get us through life. And yet, guys, and I'll be the first to come forward and say this, while we need relationships, while we are designed to be woven into each other's lives, man, relationships are about the hardest thing in the world, aren't they? And if it wasn't for other people, I would be totally fine. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. But I need them. I desperately need people. I, I need my wife. I need a church. I need friends. I need people who will encourage me when there's no one around and I can't get out of the thoughts that are, are in my own head that are lodged in there, the lies. I need someone to come in and speak truth to me and help me. I need, I need community to help me with my marriage. As we talked about with children, we need community to raise children. But man, relationships are so hard. And I'm just going to be real legit with you this morning. Relationships are going to break down. People are going to hurt you. And you're going to hurt people. And a lot of the times you're not even going to mean to do it. It's just going to happen. We're going to hurt each other in church. How many of you guys, don't slip your hand up. This is very awkward right here. How many of you guys have ever been hurt in a church? Do this if you have. Yeah, if you haven't, welcome to church. Like, there's a bunch of people who are broken here. We're going to, like, we're going to hurt each other. But we need each other, and that doesn't really work real well together. And so, so many of you may even be struggling with this isolation of, man, it's just so easy to do this thing on my own. And so here's the big thought that I have. Write, write these answers in your bulletin. If we need relationships, and yet we know we're going to get hurt in relationships because we're just human beings, we need to learn to restore relationships. That is probably one of the most fundamental acts of life that we must master. So many people say, they hurt me in a relationship. I never expected that. And I say back to you, expect to be hurt in relationships. That's not what I'm so worried about. Master responding to being hurt in relationships. Learn how to restore relationships once something goes wrong. And the cool thing is, man, the Bible is so transparent. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, man, our Bible is so transparent. God does not veil the shortcomings of these quote-unquote saints in the Bible one bit. I mean, God takes them right out of the stained glass, and he shows us every ounce of messiness in their lives. And so what we have is we have a little book, which is really a letter, a letter in the Bible called Philemon. And Philemon just has an awesome story on three people who aren't doing so well in their relationships and really lays out a blueprint on how that relationship was restored in a most magnificent way. And so last week we peeked in and it's kind of cool because the Bible is, is actually very fun to read. It's like we find an email laying on a desk somewhere, printed off, and we read it. You ever, you ever eavesdrop in someone's email? And you find it printed out and you read it and you're like, man, what's going on here? I only got one side to the situation, but I'm reading through this email and I'm like, man, I'm kind of I'm feeling what's going on. I see so-and-so wrote it and it went to so-and-so and so-and-so who wrote it is actually talking about so-and-so three and it sounds like they may have a problem, and I kind of work out that maybe they're a little related. That's kind of what the books of the Bible are like. We're reading this little letter called Philemon, and it's like, okay, we can kind of put the pieces together. There's some pretty jacked up relationships going on here, and then they're beautifully restored, and we can learn a lot from this. So how many of you guys remember the, the players here, the three characters? We have three people, Philemon, 
Onesimus and who? Oh, come on. Talk to me. Paul, that's right, that's right. We got Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul. Let's pick it up. Let's break it down real quick, and then let's move on and uh, figure out how to heal these relationships of ours. Look at Philemon, uh, chapter. I don't have a, a Bible. Just uh, listen, and I'll read this. Philemon, chapter one. It's the only chapter, verse one. Who is this guy, Philemon, and what's going on? Well. Our character, Paul, is writing this letter to a guy named Philemon. Paul is one of the early Christian leaders. He is in some type of trouble, house arrest, and he's probably in a place called Rome. And he's writing this letter to another church in another city to a guy named Philemon. Look at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So there's Paul and his crew, Paul and Timothy. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So he's writing a letter to his buddy Philemon, and his buddy Philemon is a Christian. And Aphia, our sister, so there's Philemon's wife, most likely. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, so that's probably Philemon's son. So there's this happy little family. And the church in your house. So we go, oh, okay. So he's got a church in his house. So he's either a pastor of a little house church, or his son is the pastor of a little house church. Sounds real cute. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they have accepted the grace of God. They have become Christians. They're a Christian family. They meet on the Lord's Day in their house. People gather around. They sing all the cute little songs and they talk about Jesus. Now, there's a black sheep going on in this place. There's always a black sheep. I was the black sheep at one point. But there's somebody who doesn't belong in this house. His name is who? Well, come on, this is, this is reactive preaching here. Talk to me. It's Onesimus. It's Onesimus. Look at verse 10. So the house isn't so perfect. And by the way, the only types of families are dysfunctional families. All right? Let me just ease you a little bit. We're all struggling people trying to get this thing right together. And so within this uh, polished little home is actually a very unpolished problem. His name is Onesimus. He's not a Christian. He's actually a slave. So there's all kinds of tension here. And uh, I can imagine he's probably pretty bitter about life. And I can imagine it's probably pretty nauseating as this guy who knows nothing about Jesus, wants nothing to do with Jesus, on a Sunday is not only a slave, but he hears this cute little family singing and talking about Jesus. And he's in the other room probably just putting his hands over his ears thinking, man, I can't wait for this day to stop. I hate this. So what does he do? Well, we can piece it together. He does what any one of us would do. He steals from this Christian family, and he takes off in the middle of the night. He takes off. Bag full of goods, you know, takes the wedding ring, and he heads to Rome. Because if you go to, if you go to a big city like San Francisco, and you're trying to hide from life, nobody will find you. Nobody will figure it out. And so he runs to Rome, and we can pick this up in verse 10. He says, Paul writes and says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So this is kind of weird. Somehow this slave steals from Philemon, takes off, goes to Rome, thinks he's going to hide. He's in bitterness. He's frustrated, but something's going on in his heart. He's not finding life. He's not finding answers. And somehow he meets the apostle Paul, this Christian leader. And man, that's the frustrating thing about God is... The harder you try to run from him, the more you run into his people. 
Man, I tried to run from him a long, for a long time, and I found myself in a church. So somehow he meets Paul, and Paul begins to tactfully talk to this young man and say, look, I was in your place at one time. You've looked for life in everywhere, and I know you can't find it because the human heart cannot be completed outside of God. And like any one of us humans, I can imagine this slave, and as bitter as he is, is probably going through a lot of these questions. If your God is real, then why am I a slave? If your God is real, then why, why was I taken from my wife? Who knows what, what the, the conversation was. And the Apostle Paul does his best to talk to him and, and begin to explain to him the sovereignty of God and how all things work together for good, even though they're hard, to weave into your story and to, to push you closer to God. And, and sure enough, this slave has his heart softened and, and accepts Christ as a Savior. He turns away from his old life and he turns to Jesus Christ and he becomes a Christian. And Paul writes Philemon a letter, and he says, Hey, Philemon, I'm sending your slave back, and I need you to forgive him. I need you to accept him. And so we, we looked at this story through the lens of Philemon last week. What would you do if you were Philemon? And somebody stole from you. Somebody escaped with your goods. They humiliated you. They humiliated your family. And all of a sudden, that person became a Christian. And you're sitting there in your house one morning, and you hear a knock on the door. And you open up the door, and it's that very person. Or let's just put it in our modern-day context. What if the person you're struggling with knocked on your door this afternoon and had a letter from me and handed it to you? You know, and you're like, what are you doing here? And that person hands you a letter from me. And I'm no Paul, but let's just work with it. And you read this letter, this, this typed out letter, and it says, hey, I know this person's done you wrong. I know you're mad at them. I know you're angry at them. But if you're a Christian, they're now a Christian. I need you to bring them back into your life and in your heart. Well, if you're wondering how Philemon responded, download the sermon from last week. I'm moving on. So we look through the lens of Philemon. How do you forgive someone last week? How do you forgive someone? Oh, that's so hard. And what we did is we injected a deeper purpose in forgiving someone who hurts you last week um, through this, the, the eyes of Philemon. Today, I want to put ourselves in Paul's place. Now, think of the Apostle Paul. And guys, you've got to get this. I, if there's anything you get this month, we're in this series, I need you to get this. This is going to be so important for our church and for our homes right here. What do you do if you're Paul? What do you do when someone comes to you and you know that they are wrecked in their relationship towards another person? And they come to you and they reveal it. They say, man, this is going on with so-and-so and I'm really struggling that with them. What if it's a spouse or what if, what if it's someone right here in this church and you're the, the Apostle Paul right there like, oh man, okay, I'm friends with both of these people. You get me? Don't you hate this? Like I'm friends with both of these people and, and so-and-so's come to me and they said, you know, they did this to me and, and so I did this back, but, you know, they should have never done this to me and, and uh, you know, I don't know, what do you think I should do? And man, you're sitting there like, I don't know, maybe go talk to the elders or something, man. I don't want, I don't want to get in the middle of that right there. Man, who wants drama? 
What do you do if you're Paul? This young man comes stumbling in and somehow maybe Timothy finds him in Rome and says, hey, you gotta meet my friend Paul. I know you're struggling. Check this guy out. Just go talk to him. And, and uh, the slave comes in and he talks to Paul and he, he lays out, man, yeah, I've got this shattered relationship. I don't know what to do. I think I'm justified. Sure, I stole from him, but the guy owned me. And you're Paul. How do you respond? Well, I'll tell you right from the start, what we can't do as hard as it is is begin to take sides. What we need to do is learn from Paul how we deal with these things. Because I'm going to tell you something that I'm learning. I'm still a young man. Tomorrow's my birthday. It's still not too late. But I, I, am, I am getting older, and the more I grow as a human being, the more I'm learning this, not only about myself, but about other people. There are certain situations where people are struggling in a relationship, and they simply can't see it anymore. They can't see how to deal with it anymore. And what it takes is someone coming in from the outside and saying, I have got to help with this situation. And if we know we're going to have problems in our relationships, either in our homes or in our church, yet we've got to have relationships We've got to learn how to play the part of Paul and help two people who are struggling find reconciliation. How many of you guys are with me on that? Woo! And I want to encourage you, the beauty of Christianity, this whole Christian experience, is all designed to impact our human relationships. So this thing right here that I keep experiencing with God, this reconciliation, God and I were at war. I rejected God. I wanted nothing to do with this God. I wanted everything to do with mysticism and all kinds of other philosophical thinking, but I didn't want God. I was at war with God. Jesus Christ came in the middle and he reconciled me and God back and now we have a beautiful relationship. So what we can do is say this thing that happened here, we can learn, we can flow it out right here. And what we're going to see with the Apostle Paul is that Paul plays the part of Jesus. Paul gets in the middle of two people and as it were stretches his arms out and grabs one hand of this guy over here and grabs the other hand of this guy over here and he says like Jesus on the cross I want to bring you in myself back together and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to take this whole thing on myself so you two have peace. Amen moment. Colossians chapter 1. How am I doing on time? Okay, great. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 19. Here is the very, the very essence of Christianity, you guys. Here is what the gospel is right here, verse 19. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Christ is God. And through Christ... Through him, Christ came to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The whole core of Christianity is Jesus Christ bringing two warring parties together by his work on the cross, making peace between us and God. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, I don't want God doing evil deeds, I don't care about the things of God, the ways of God. Jesus has now reconciled in his body by the crucifixion 
in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus got in the middle between me and God and said, by my work, I'm willing to risk everything to bring you two back together. Amen is right. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the, the peacemakers. Our experience in being reconciled by Jesus Christ and brought back into fellowship with God and the war is now ended. Jesus stood in the middle. That daily experience of joy is designed to directly outflow into our relationships with each other. Now, I, I need to become a reconciler. I need to find people that I desperately and, and, and deeply and beautifully love who are at war with each other. I need to be a reconciler like Jesus and learn how to come between those two people and say, guys, I want to step in here. I want to play the part of Jesus. And if I can, I will take it upon myself to bring you two back together. That's a whole new level of Christianity, and that is risky, risky business. But if we love people enough, we're willing to risk it. I'm doing this this week. It's worth it. So I'm going to give you one point this morning, how to be a peacekeeper. I, I would love it, not, not, not that I want to turn us into a bunch of meddlers, like, hey, I saw you arguing with so-and-so. I'm wondering if like, we can meet and talk this thing out. And you're like, no, we're good. You know, I'm not talking about that, but think of a church that understood the gospel to the point that when we saw each other hurting and fighting, somebody, somebody's, many of us were willing to come in between with the Holy Scriptures, with love and grace and say, let's get this thing right. That would be an awesome environment to grow in. That'd be a powerful church. So how to be a peacekeeper. Here we go. Well, the first thing we need to establish, and Paul lays this out in Philemon, is our joy is not complete when people we love are not at peace. Uh, it's hard. Life is, life is a tricky thing. I'm at peace with people most of the time, and I, I would hope that that would bring joy. Like, I'm cool with my wife. I'm cool with my daughters. I'm cool with, I'm cool with my crew. I mean, I'm good. But the problem is, if someone I love... A staff member, a church member, a family member, it doesn't matter, a friend. If they're struggling with another person, God has so designed it that we're so woven together by the Holy Spirit that my joy is lacking. I think he's telling me something. You want your joy back, John? Go, go play the part of Christ and get in, get in this thing. Get your hands dirty. That's, that's the way of life. It's all good. But my joy is not complete when I have people I love unreconciled. Verse, verse 17, and this is where we pick it up with Paul. He's writing this letter. The slave comes to him, and he says, look, I'm willing to make this happen. I'm willing to come in between. I can't get out of my house arrest here, so I'm going to write this letter. I'm going to send it back with the slave. I'm going to send him home to Philemon, and I'm hoping within a matter of about 60 seconds, Philemon reads this letter. His heart offends, and he realizes that he needs to take this slave back and reconcile. But he says, look, the first thing you better understand as he writes this letter is verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, if we are one in Christ, if we both share the Holy Spirit, if we claim to love each other, receive him back as you would receive me. Whoa. You get two people who 
who are, who are separated, who are not fighting, and, and I say, hey, I want to talk to you. Or maybe they come to me and they say, hey, John, you know, I'm struggling. Can I talk to you? And I, I tell them this. Yeah, so you're struggling with so-and-so. You're struggling with so-and-so. Okay, I get that. My joy is not complete until you guys have peace. Whoa. Now, if you're, the, if you're the slave, if you're the person who's fighting with another person, and you go and meet with a friend, and you say, hey, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this, and they tell you, I'm suffering because of this relationship. But that's how God has so fashioned us. Verse 17, he says, we're partners. The Greek word means oneness. We are one in Christ. It's 1 John through and through. And so because Paul realizes he's one with these other believers and his joy is incomplete until there's peace between believers, man, Paul just says there's, there's no option. Love trumps. I want my joy. I want you to feel joy. I'm diving in. And so Paul stretches one hand out to Onesimus, the slave. He stretches one hand out to Philemon, this slave owner, this Christian guy. And he begins to emulate Jesus Christ on the cross. And he says, I'm going to sacrifice everything. I don't care. I want the love back. I want the joy back. I value you guys so much. I can't watch this anymore. That's big time, real, genuine Christianity. And before we say that this stuff is too uncomfortable, man, I know, <laughs> I know, I want us to know, and I want to encourage us with this, experiencing God's power depends on this type of work. I'm going to work it out in the next sermon series. We are called the temple of God. And when bricks don't fit in and bricks are broken and bricks are missing, remember the presence of God came when the temple was completed. And if we want the, the presence of God, we want to experience the holiness of God, the power of God in this place, then the temple, the church, has to become complete. Now you don't got to come in two weeks when I start the series. You're good already. And that's why to Paul, he had no choice. This is the very essence of what it meant to Paul to follow Jesus, was to follow Jesus in the way of the cross and reconcile broken parties. So I'm going to give you three things that Paul does. This is rhetoric at a new level. He does it in a few paragraphs. He utterly softens Philemon's heart to the point that Philemon sees that there's no other option than out of love to bring this man back for the glory of Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul does, and if you ever find yourself in this situation, I have emulated this time and time again. And if you come to me and you're, you're struggling with someone, I will use these steps with joy because it works. The first thing Paul helps Philemon see, and there's so much graciousness to the Apostle Paul. He doesn't come heavy-handed. He comes with love, and he helps Philemon see himself. You see, the problem with being hurt is you no longer see how you're responding back. Isn't that right? Philemon got hurt. This guy stole from him, and he took off. And so remember, as we saw last week, this is an issue of justice. Philemon naturally desires justice. He's wired for justice. He is saying, you owe me, slave. You owe me. And Paul begins to shine the light on Philemon's own heart and say, Philemon, do you understand who you're becoming? Do you understand what's happening in your own heart because all you want is justice? I need you to see that you're becoming the person you despise. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all, 
If he's taken from you, if he owes you hours, if he owes you your wife's wedding ring back, if this, if this slave owes you anything at all, or owes you anything open-ended, Paul says, charge that to my account. That is brutal, Paul. Because you don't got anything, Paul. You're sitting in a jail cell. That's the point. Remember, Philemon's loaded. Otherwise, he couldn't afford a slave. And here's Paul going, yeah, I don't got anything, but I will find my way out of this prison. I will find my way to your house. I will work with my own hands, and I will repay whatever it is that this guy owes you if it's that important, if it's really about this. Imagine reading that. Imagine the slave knocking on your door, and you're like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's just like, you know, don't hit me yet. There's a letter from Paul. You know, and Philemon snatches that thing, and he's like, honey, get over here. The slave's back, and he's got this letter from Paul, and he begins to read this, and, and he's, he's all this justice and anger is coming back towards this slave, and he's, he's thinking on the other side of the door with his back turned, reading Paul's letter, and Paul says, oh, yeah, he's a Christian now. Oh, by the way, if he owes you anything, let me remind you, I'm in prison. I got nothing. You got everything. But if it's really about just evening the score, I'll go even the score if that's going to make it right. And man, that would have cut Philemon to the heart. Philemon Philemon would have begun to see that it's really not about paying him back. Philemon has grown bitter. Paul's setting him up. It's kind of a low blow. He's literally saying, I can pay you back, but are you really ready to move forward and heal things? You ever do that to someone? I'll go fill in the gap. And they say, no, you don't have to. You didn't hurt me. They did. What that really means is I'm not ready to let go. And what Paul is doing is he is allowing Philemon to see that he's not trying to find a solution at all. He's hanging on to the offense a little longer. And when you hold a grudge, when I hold a grudge, if Philemon held a grudge, you are becoming just as ugly as the person who hurts you You take on their likeness, and you need to free yourself of that. Oh, that would be enough right there for me just to be like, ugh. (laughs) All right, I love you, a slave. Come on back in. We're cool. But Paul keeps coming. Paul then, in the next verse, reminds Philemon of the grace he's been shown. And this is probably the thing that when someone hurts me, gets me the best in a good way. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I care so much about this. I don't even have my secretary doing this. He says, I will repay it to say, but I'm not going to mention anything of you owing me your life. I thought you said you weren't going to mention it, Paul. Oh, he owes you? You owed me. Remember when you were really jacked up? Remember when you heard me? Remember when you heard people? And remember when I came to you and I forgave you and I brought you back? Hmm. This is how I get over uh, the the little things with my wife. I think to myself, my soul, what she has done to me, I have done to her. What am I doing? In other words, in verse 19, he's saying, hey, Philemon, remember you weren't always the greatest guy. Remember your your own mistakes. And the hard part about this is you can remain bitter towards someone only if you feel superior towards them. 
I mean, if we say I would never do anything like that, <laughs> of course you're going to hold a grudge towards someone, but, but we have, we all have. And then he says, I got to hurry here. He says, number three, and Paul helps Philemon see that, that really holding on to a grudge is going to hurt everyone. And that's what's so important about understanding your relationship in the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. He says, would you please refresh my heart in Christ by just softening yourself and taking this brother back in and forgiving him? Would you please deal with this because it's impacting the whole body? Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's powerful. And so Paul shifts the guilt to Philemon. Paul says not getting this right is going to have an impact on our relationship, you and I. And so what Paul does in playing the role of Jesus is Paul turns Philemon from offended to offender in three verses. But what's so cool about this, you guys, and listen to this. Knowing Philemon's character, I want to ask you a question. How do you think he responded standing at that door, reading that letter with this guy who heard him on the other side of the door? There he is. Just his heart's just softening and sinking, and he's seeing Christ and Paul, and he's seeing a whole lot of flesh in his own life. How do you think he responded? It's pretty cool. It's verse 21. Paul says, I, I know your heart, man. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. I know this is going to work. I know you're going to hear me out as this mediator, this Christ-like character. And I know we're going to experience something more beautiful than ever between us. And can you guys see Christ and Paul? Here's what I want to ask you, and we'll shut this down. I am excited to do this. Where is the healing and where is the restorative grace of God most badly needed in your realm? Who do you know who's struggling with someone else? And the real question that I'm praying for in my own life is how can you stand in the middle and hold out your arms to people on either side Man, bringing people together in Christ. We got any Sharks fans? San Jose? The owner was doing a leadership conference. This was a while back, I think on the East Coast. And he showed a bunch of clips of number 19, just quick clips over and over and over as... Number 19 is skating on the ice, and he's doing the same thing every time, every time. Just quick clips, quick clips, quick clips. And the owner of the shark says to all these leaders, what do you notice, guys, in every clip? In every clip, number 19 was the middleman assisting. Taking the puck from this guy, shooting it off to this guy as the middleman so the team could score. Works the same way in our relationships. N.T. Wright says this, I'll close this up. On the cross, Jesus hung with arms outstretched between heaven and earth, making a bridge upward 
and downward between God and the human race and from side to side between all the warring factions of earth. And Paul has grasped the truth that so many have missed. His achievements of reconciliation is put into effect when his people follow the same pattern, when people allow the cross to shape their own lives. The love of God is set free to change and heal in ways we cannot at this moment even imagine. Let's bow our heads and let's pray to this end. Pray with me.